talk about revolution That's going a little bit too far So love me, love me, love me I'm a liberal Hello, and welcome once again to more like The Worst Wing, the show where here in 2022, we reflect back on formerly Aaron's organs and now just a writer's staples show, The West Wing, um, with a bit more leftist socialist bent to the analysis. I am Stu. And I am Dave. And we've determined this week that we are definitely both Martin in the <laughs> podcasting duo screenshot, and I think my wife Emma is Nelson. If you put a hint of sage in your boot, a fresh scent will be your friend all day. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Emma's Nelson and we're both Martin, yeah. definitely. Shut <laughs> <laughs> Okay, anyway, we are back here. We're in season six of The West Wing. Um, this is something like, it's like episode six in the canon, but we're skipping around a little bit here. So the title is The Dover Test, and... It refers to, as we will learn in an extreme, I'm just going to put it out here in the beginning, an extremely Sorkin way down the road, that like the Dover test is basically a made up euphemism for like when troops die, they come, their bodies are returned to Dover Air Force Base. In, In the great state of where? The fictitious state of yep. Delaware. <laughs> Nichol comes like Kool-Aid manning through the screen. Oh yeah. Uh, excuse me. Oh yeah. Um so anyway, like there's there's a there's a general who's talking to CJ about the ongoing peacekeeping mission and he says something about like passing the Dover test, and it's just such a like standard technique for this fucking show where it's like, we're gonna make something up. And then explain it to you, right. the idiot reader slash right. character, that right. this is in fact a very common thing. Right. And that CJ, who's worked in government for six years and should totally yeah. know this by now, <laughs> is right there with the uh, the set assist to be like, excuse me, what's the Dover test? Yeah, I just, it, the, the technique is so blatant. You hear yeah. it all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember laughing real hard in Man of Steel when they're like, the big climactic fight is happening and they put Lois Lane in there to go, what's terraforming? <laughs> <laughs> yes. so, that they, so that they can explain what the big evil machine is doing to Earth. Amazing. Yes, yeah. excellent cut on that one. Holy Sh- shit. Sharp-witted reporter Lois Lane, everyone. Oh, man. Um, so, so, yeah, it, it's like the... It's the worst fucking exposition device ever. It's the it's basically two steps beyond as you know. Like as, yes. as you know, the government is here to provide services for the people. It's it's like announcing a flashback with the title card like 10 years ago and like <laughs> oh, is that when this is? Like so, I, anyway, <laughs> to bring it bring it back to the episode, the Dover test is basically the bad PR that the government gets when nice American troop bodies start arriving home in caskets, and the media has to show it on TV. So and we do so, get in the in the cold open here. They interrupt some sort of you know fucking photo op with the president by pulling him out of this meeting to announce that one American our troop has died <laughs> in the peacekeeping mission in but, Israel and Palestine. We need to use that as like a unit of caring because obviously, <laughs> as we know, one American troop is like the biggest unit of caring uh, mm-hmm. and is, is probably equivalent to like 
10 allied troops, like, European troops, and, like, equivalent to a 1,000 enemy civilians. Yeah, and I would say, like, maybe, what's a, um, uh, what the fuck is, I'm gonna, f- I'm stepping all over my joke here. It's a Sandy Hook of dead children. <laughs> yeah. There, there's one, an R troop, and then there's a Sandy Hook right below right. it. Right, <laughs> yeah, one American troop is, uh, is enough, so... Yeah, the press is apoplectic. Uh, we get a little bit more of Toby's not dealing with the press well, but doing it a little better now that he has some coaching from Kristen Chenoweth. Yep. So his like body language is better, but he's still stepping into like every landmine possible with the way he ans- <laughs> the way he answers questions. And it's interesting here because you both you and I both brought this up in our notes. He basically goes for a big like hashtag Saki bomb moment where like he does some like epic shade snark sarcasm at the press but CJ and Annabeth are both watching to like judge his performance to see how he's doing and the second he pulls this maneuver CJ immediately is like oh no 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 (laughs) like instantly realizes this is the bad thing to do and has done nothing but made the press more antagonistic towards Toby and yet the liberals who watch this show fucking love the Saki bomb, even though it is obviously counterproductive and just makes the press more antagonistic. Yeah, and watching this, it's, I mean, and to be fair, I think this is, and this is rose-colored glasses as hell, looking backward at a more adversarial press, which yes. I think is, which in the, in the kind of the framing of the show is bad. We don't right. want adversary. We're all friends. You know, right. government like reporters. We tell them data points, and they communicate to the public. But right. back then, it's like, okay, fucking nail them to the wall. What's her What's her tits? Um, yeah, Helen. Helen. I was just thinking about her. Yeah, but yeah, she, yeah. she did it in a very decorous, decorum way. Whereas, you know, where she's like, she was still charming to to the press secretary. She wasn't like mean towards them, but then would ask pointed, sharp questions, which is you know probably the ideal sort of we should be looking for yeah but yeah on on the west wing the press is more framed as like vicious piranhas who are just waiting for that drop of blood to go into a fucking feeding frenzy like yeah. because <laughs> at one point toby is he's trying to explain they're like they're like you've cut off the press from dover air force base why because getting a picture of a coffin with an american flag draped over it is bad pr huh toby and he kind of has to like the answer really is yes, it is. It's incredibly that, That's bad exactly PR. what it is. Yeah. Yes. But he, you know, as press secretary, he has to spin this answer and make it more politically acceptable. And in the process of doing so, he basically admits that, like, look, internally, we had a big debate about this. And me, Toby, was actually on the side of letting you guys, the press, go to Dover. And uh, and then they they snap on that. And at one point he says something like, Look, everybody matters, you know, whether there's one or a hundred, and they go, oh, a hundred, a hundred, Toby, when are a hundred American troops going to die? When's that going to happen? Yeah, it's it's a weird, and again, you present to the viewer of the show, they, they have to sort of take it for granted, the framing that you're presenting these people in, and, you know, over episodes and episodes and seasons and seasons of this, you just see that the press is a bunch of fucking vultures. Like, they're waiting to pounce on your every little mistake, even though those little mistakes are often just like, this is a completely legitimate question to ask. Why aren't you answering? Yes, we have here the first death of what is guaranteed to be more 
in an American military conflict, and the press is asking smart, normal questions, at first at least, before it devolves into the freeing frenzy, about like, hey, how many more deaths did you anticipate, given that we've had one already, and it's been, what, like two weeks, a month, yeah. since like <laughs> the peace process started, and we sent the quote-unquote peacekeeping troops over there. So they're asking perfectly normal, valid, logical follow-up questions, but because Toby and the White House are framed as the protagonists of the situation, the press is defaulted to antagonist, and therefore, narratively, we just instinctively root for Toby, even though he is covering up some bad shit here. Yeah, and also, it the questions that they, the line of questions that they could pursue also goes down an uncomfortable tack for a nominally, quote, very liberal, in, in the show's framing, right, mm-hmm, administration right. of this is this is what this is what happens when your entire foreign policy is based on like the interventionism and stationing military assets in almost every fucking country on the planet. That's what happens. You've got those people there. They're going to die. Like yes. if, if you are doing military things, they're going to fucking die. Of course. So, I mean, and of course this is a problem that you end up wrestling with. Anyway, I wanted to clarify that it's Helen Thomas was this that, woman's name. That's it. She, that's, she yes. got in a lot of trouble for saying that the Jews should get the hell out of Palestine. Yeah, well, which rules. you know, nerfed kind of thing. But. <laughs> well, but I mean, no, she was, that rules. She, that fucking owns, And apparently yeah. from what I... From my brief internet research, her it's her parents were from Lebanon or what was now Lebanon, so somewhere in the Levant that got fucked up by British adventurism. I imagine right. in service of Zionism at some point. Anyway, I, I imagine, but yeah, yeah, that's right. But she would always ask very tough, pointed questions, or at least that was her reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's you know, ideally, the press should have a bit of an antagonistic relationship with the president. Um, not as quite as bloodthirsty as West Wing makes it seem where they just kind of jump off any innocent remark, but it does need to be a little bit more of a hostile inherent relationship because, you know, the press secretary's job is to massage the truth to make it palatable. And the press's job in theory is to expose the real truth behind the situation. So, So it should be an antagonistic relationship, but West Wing portrays that as bad basically like it would be wouldn't it be so much nicer if we were all just having fun like in the cj days <laughs> yeah well it's it's also t- uh, tepidly tied to cj's career here too because her yes her receiving the information and having to frankly make executive decisions yes. with the authority of the president behind it is re- you know is related to the situation that toby's trying to communicate she is right. getting the information from the military guys and then it's being passed around and then toby has to spin it given and he doesn't even get all the information you know the the titular conversation about the dover test is brought up because cj is asking about force depletion projections which is basically the military's estimate of how many troops will die on a particular mission and she's getting the runaround from the general who ends up giving the dover test explanation because she's just like hey He's like, well, we want to, like, coordinate our number with the NSA. We don't want to, like, leak it ahead of time. He's like, but, okay, but you talk to them anyway. And, like, there's just a whole runaround about, like, why won't you just tell me the number of potential troops that might die? It's like, is it because it's a bad number? And if you told it to us beforehand, we never would have authorized this mission? Well, and honestly, that's that's the vibe I get. 
Yeah, and once she nails him down about it, he's just like, oh, I don't know, it's like a quarter to 1%. And she's like, oh, well, two, two up to 200 dead soldiers? Like, yeah, but it's a quarter to 1%. Like, right. Right. that many... That many troops get into like get dead from drunk driving accidents at Fort Bragg every summer. <laughs> yeah, like, or fr- or friendly fire or what have like, you. Like what the yeah. fuck? So I mean, and again, not to downplay sort of the seriousness of, of it, but we're like, not. But, but yes. But the it, thing is, it, in theory, this is all in service of a noble goal, which is peace in the Middle East, right? So like, yeah. w- there should be an acceptance that like, look, some bad stuff is going to happen. It's not just going to be rainbows and unicorns and ponies over there. Some people may die. But we're achieving an actual noble goal this time and not just, like, stealing all the oil from some <laughs> Middle East well, country. At least well, in, the, the, in the fiction of the show, we're pursuing a noble goal here. Well, so, and the, the, the astute viewer will note that the pathology behind the general's reluctance, he mentions, he says specifically that this is not a body count, which is a callback to fucking, you know, Ford's MBA executive team managing or mismanaging the Vietnam War, which was their initial concept, was like, well, just turn it into a fucking numbers game. How many of them died? How many of ours died? And, you know, that hit a huge backlash in the press then. And so you can see what has sort of swung the writer's thoughts about these things. Oh, I remember this in the background. And no, 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 no. We're not going to talk about a number of dead troops here. Right. (laughs) It's like, well, CJ immediately is just like, well, when you multiply 1% by 20,000. Right. Like, I know the total number about? of troops, and you've given me the percentage, <laughs> and I know basic math. So, yeah, that mostly wraps up my thoughts on they do, the troop I did want to plot. mention. Go ahead. I do want to mention that if at the end, in a, a somewhat more sleazy kind of invocation of American exceptionalism here, we have Donna, who is still wrestling with her PTSD oh, right. yeah. from, getting, from getting blowed up. You know, in a honestly, in a in service again of this of this peace process because she was uh-huh. there because they were doing uh-huh. the codel. They were thing. doing so, the thing with Fitzwallace. Yep, exactly. But she blows through and is talking to uh, Kate Harper yep. about this no. thing. Uh, she's talking to uh, oh, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, it was yeah. Annabeth, Annabeth. Right, Annabeth. Yeah. Anyway, talking to Annabeth, and she literally, almost literally, says, "I just got blowed up. The troops are the real heroes." Right. Right. Yeah, she's totally bought in. They're discussing, like, whether or not they should make a movie of the week based off Donna's story. Story, yeah. I God, I want to see the fictional Lifetime version <laughs> of Donna's fucking story. I bet it would be so good. Um, but then, uh, in, in a great show of Protestant work ethic, which will come up later when we're talking about Leo's plotline, the... Uh, uh, the catch is that she cannot sign off on the movie of the week because it would pay Donna money, uh, and therefore she would have to quit her White House job where, you know, she works 168 hours a week for very little money. Uh, and of course, this is an unacceptable trade-off to Donna. Yes, this is much more important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she's doing very important work getting harassed by Josh hanging up her yeah, phone. no shit. <laughs> Yeah, so again, there's a throwaway scene or two where, he, where Josh basically harassed. She's on the phone nominally with like a boyfriend or somebody she's dating, and Josh physically takes the phone out of her hand and says, No means no, asshole, and hangs, and up, hangs up the phone up. for her as Donna is looking at him like, 
what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> these two are going to end up together. Like, happy, Ugh. romantically, and the show is pitching this as nothing but a good thing. Uh, it's so fucked. Uh, I, I just, I hate Josh. He's well, just the goddamn worst. We'll dig a lot more into that when it actually happens uh, at some point in season seven. But that mostly wraps up the, uh, the troop Toby... Do- sl- Dover test plotline of this episode. Any any final thoughts before we take a quick break? Nope, I think I'm good. All right, but let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we will discuss Leo's plotline in this episode. Tight enough? Is it wet enough? Got the Novocaine? Is it dead enough? Getting fed? What? Is it red to bust? Is it everything you thought of in your head? Trust you wanna take something or somebody might break it for you. What you wanna break that wasn't in the conversation. You always hope to experience domination. Regular writing, you might get an ovation or orgasm, but be patient. It won't happen with no waiting. They want action. They've been chasing. You've been flashing. So ass up, don't move. Get slapped. Can't run. Bring it back. Tighten up. Stay stretched. Make it red. Make it clap. Clap, clap, clap. that mouth shut. Bounce for your boy. Rip for your girl. Scream for your life. Beg for a minute. Probably should have hollered if it wasn't what you wanted, but you got the world waiting now to prove to everybody you could. Show off, 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 this fact that they've created because you know she didn't have to be an indian nurse they decided to cast her as this uh but they really mine it where they get into a lot of like racial stuff about her being indian like not only does she like in the in the course of this episode she goes to an indian wedding brings up indian uh history culture etc to, to Leo, uh, comes back from said wedding, said wedding in traditional Indian garb. With an Indian child. Le- <laughs> with an Indian child to bring Leo traditional Indian food uh, to help him recover. And it's just really, like, pointed and on the nose of, like, how much they are trying to shove, like, she's Indian, like, into your face. And, and like, make it a thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what this is in service of except down towards the very end they get into a chat so actually let's back this up leo is taking right. like his his daily Walks. walk around mm-hmm. the hotel where he's living with this to nurse help, to help his recovery exactly yeah. like he did 10 minutes yesterday he's going for 12 minutes today that kind of thing and on his walk he runs into an old friend mhm so old friend is um he used to be the CEO of some company, and Cutlico or something. Yeah, Cultico, like I think, it's is the name Cultico. that they use. And it's not. It's not the knife. It's not. No, it's not. It's not the knife. It's not Cutco. So he he recognizes Leo and like their friends, you know, because now he's like a secretary of commerce, an assistant trade deputy, or some bullshit. Um, but he's like, hey, you know, um, Cultico, and they sort of actually this is pretty clever in the way that it's written but they make reference to a tragedy or a disaster that cultico was implicated in um uh-huh. at like, some like point 10, 15 years ago 10, yeah 15, 20 years ago and he's like something. look things have changed since then we're a different co- or it's a different company now you leo should go 
help them out, sit on the board, you know, guide them through their government relations stuff. And Leo's like, wow, you know, okay, I'll think about it. There's also an implication that doing so would be good for his health to, you know, gets him out of the house, you know, gets him doing some stuff. Yes, indeed. Uh, Which is fucked up to me. Well, yes, we we see him, we we see that, um, like that prospective or like what is proposed to him by this guy in stark juxtaposition because Ms. Chakravarti, the Indian nurse, comes out and says, Leo, I got worried about you when you didn't come back from your walk. And like you see the two old man insecurity thing going and like, oh, totally. Oh, are you ailing? Like, oh, you are no longer virile if you have somebody caring for you. Right. Like you have a nurse, Leo. Like it's a very it's a very boomer fear moment and yes i know leo's not technically a boomer but boomer's more of a mindset than an age to me <laughs> yeah and well and the, the it's a very bis- like oh no i'm old i'm obsolete now the world it, doesn't need me anymore exactly well and, and you know business guy is much taller than leo he seems more animated and you know he's kind of it's shot in the way such that he's kind of looking down and, and towering a little bit right over Leo, yeah, where it's Leo like okay, looks like this frail old yes. man who has who has a full time nurse and everything like that. Like, what are you dying, Leo? And and regardless of whether I think this particular insecurity is stupid or not, the show does a pretty good job of being like, this is what Leo feels. It is sure. It's clear that he is wrestling with the fact of his declining health, his mortality, blah blah blah. Yeah, it's very it's very effective from a narrative standpoint of uh, in terms of the character. Yes, but, uh, yeah, uh, I want to go back for a second, and then just, like, the the Indian nurse also, like, brings up Gandhi unprompted as, like, one of her first lines in the episode, and I'm just like, why? Because he's the only famous Indian person that a viewer's actually going to recognize. It's, yeah, it is very punchy. It is like, well, did you know, Indian. Hey, yeah. Indian. Like, yeah. Like, it's just, I don't know. It feels very model minority, and there's a lot of, like, the our, our favorite thing we love to talk about, which is the West Wing work ethic, is brought up in two ways here. One, with Leo, you know, the idea of if Leo can't work, he's worthless and, and frail and dying and, you know, immaterial to society. And then the other is that the nurse is, like, such a hard worker, and, of course, that makes her, like, a fucking saint person because... She came back from the wedding, not even, like, getting changed, still in, like, the traditional Indian regalia, again, so we can point out that she's, like, a model minority, and came back just to feed Leo some, like, non-fucking bread. You know, like, like, kid in tow, and, like, uh, must must go back to work. Yeah, adorable kid, like, oh, I have, like, three clients after you, because I'm working four jobs, because I'm living the American dream. Yeah, the American dream of working all the time. Woo! Right, (laughs) exactly, and it's just, it's really fucked up, and I don't know, there's just, what, hang on, I had another note here, oh, yeah, so then their whole thing... She comes back with the non-bread, and the whole subplot has been like, you need to eat, Leo. She's like an Italian grandmother. She's yeah. like, eat, oh, eat. Oh, your skin and bones. You know? 
Yeah, uh, and so she's constantly trying to get Leo to eat to improve his recovery and his health and stuff, and so he finally starts eating the non bread that she brought back, and he's like, oh my god, this is good, and she's like, oh, thank god, you're fucking eating, and he's like, <laughs> they should mass market this, and it's like, first off, Leo, they they do, they do. There, are Indian, there are Indian restaurants all over the country, but... Second off, I know when he says mass market, he doesn't mean that. He means he wants to be able to go to McDonald's and get a McNon bread. Yeah. Like, he he loves every aspect of imperialism, from the warmongering part where he was flying the fighter jets to the part where he gets the benefits from all the colonization. Yeah, and it they the show takes this opportunity to set up this false conflict between Leo and... And Miss Chakravarti, because he's like, what makes this so good? She's like, oh, well, there's a specific region in the Punjab that is like, that grows that this grows plant oil. that you put the, the bread in wherever. So you can't get it here. And he's just like, oh, well, you know, we should start, you know, marketing. And he then they go down this bizarre, which is yeah a hint of it's actually, truth. I, it's a little bit ahead of the time. Yes. Like, I, I remember GMO... GMO foods being much more of a concern, like in the aughts and stuff, uh, or the you know the late aughts. I would before, say early like teens. This, yeah. Yeah. So this was this is actually a little ahead of the curve. So I'm gonna give a little point to West Wing here. But yeah, they get into a whole like GMO corn thing with the implication that the Cultico was also responsible for some sort of industrial accident. Oh, so that I mean. Really- yeah. fucked over india hardcore yeah it's it's bhopal it's union carbide is the is the comparator here like the bhopal spill in 1986 killed like 2500 people or something and uh so and, uh, huge environmental damage yeah yeah, yeah and the the gmo corn thing obviously they they twisted a little bit to be like cultico is the company that's providing that yeah corn. so cultico sort of monsanto also yeah. mm-hmm their, their combination of that company you just mentioned and Monsanto, because yeah. they're also doing, like, the termination seeds and, like, all, you know, all that kind of shit. And, like, the uh, Indian nurse brings up, she's like, you know, hey, here's all the downsides of the GMO corn. And Leo's like, well, here's all the upsides of the GMO corn. We're going to feed the world. And, and Open all, markets. You know, Leo, yeah, Leo's just basically... Like the you know pitching capitalism, and then like she's like here's going. Hey, I know the actual side effects of what happened, and it completely fucked up the place I came from. So maybe don't do that. Yeah, and you know it's it it wraps in like a like a he said she said like well which side could possibly be correct? Right. It's it's a very though they're both smart. They both have good points. <laughs> yes. What a what a complex issue, isn't it? Great, we debated everyone. Mm-hmm. But uh, now back to now back to causing environmental issues. Yeah, seriously. So, um, and the the implication at the end is that Leo puts the like the flyer that his CEO executive buddy gave him like in the trash. Right. Which means right. he's, he's obviously like, not going to go and. Right, he's not going to take the job, and I guess it's because he happened to have an Indian nurse who had a cute kid who said hi to him. <laughs> that's like, that's the lesson of West Wing. Yeah. Everything can only be solved on the individual level by one person learning a moral taught to them by another person um let's see and he's i mean he's on the way to back to good health technically right yeah yeah he's his recovery is going better by the end of the episode the implication is like he's in a better place now he's not the kind of guy who would like take the job at the bad company you know things are looking up for leo which is a good place to leave it off on for this episode 
And then, so our third major plot line, let's just go right into it here, is with Matt Santos and the Patience Bill of Rights, which is his sort of signature legislation bugaboo he's been working on the entire time he's been in Congress. He's a representative, right? Not a senator. Uh, yes, he's a rep. Yeah, yeah he's, he's, in, he's in the House of Representatives. Yep. Um, and so uh, the Patience Bill of Rights itself died in committee, which is uh, he starts off telling Josh about that. Him and Josh are having a meeting. Uh, so instead, he's working with a Republican to get a modified form of it passed that will not have everything that he wanted in the original Patience Bill of Rights, but will have a couple important things. Like the big thing he's concerned about is like a 1.5 million cap on total lifetime damage, which, by the way, this is like the signature progressive health insurance idea of the time. Yes. Is like limit it to 1.5 million in, in payouts. Well, so this is also, we get from the first conversation, Josh is after this motherfucker, like he's killed his mother. Like it is right. Josh, oh, yeah, yeah. Josh, Josh blows is, in Josh is, is like big bad. How yeah. fucking dare you sign on with a Republican or like give up your fight, even though it's, it's doomed. And like the administration does not support reaching across the aisle for his thing. And I think he literally calls him like a traitor. Yeah. Or something. Or some, something like that. Yeah. It's and, just like, ah, all right. And then Will Will shows up a couple minutes behind Josh, also big mad uh, for different reasons. He's mad because in classic Democrat fashion, he would rather that no action happens on this bill so that Bob Russell... Uh, can run on the idea of passing the bill when he runs for president <laughs> next time. <laughs> Which is just, it's so Which classic. Is great. <laughs> oh no, we don't want to get things done because we need no. to use the potential to get them done as a campaign right. issue. Because here's the thing, if Bartlett passes the Patients' Bill of Rights, then it's the Bartlett Bill of Rights, and Russell can't do anything to say that he helped that, even though he was vice president of Bartlett. <laughs> It's it's so stupid. Rather that the idea that they could actually pass something and then run on passing it is just completely alien to the West Wing kind of brain. And the the back and forth about it because Josh is technically arguing from, and we I'd mentioned earlier where it's like we can just wave goodbye to all like to all theoretically immutable character traits because now Josh is taking the like oh it's got to be perfect. purity tests yeah it's got to right. be perfect Josh is. Josh is purity testing, which is weird because he's supposed to be the Rahm Emanuel hard motherfucker who does whatever it takes to get anything passed, you know, even if it's a shadow of its former self. So you brought up a great point where you said Emma, Emma said something along the lines of Josh was always smug, but he used, he used to be smart and no legislation and sure he had hubris and it would come to bite him in the butt sometimes, but now Josh is just smug and stupid yeah. <laughs> and like do and doesn't have like a political strategist mind anymore and is just sort of lashing out at things that upset him personally well and so josh enlists will after this diatribe about fucking bob russell being unable to run for president if this bill goes through or something um and they they go to jimmy smith's matt santos's office and sit in there get the get the cold shoulder 
you yep. know, from the congressman he's for a little bu- while. He's too busy doing actual work. You yeah. know, he's he's got the sleeves rolled up. He's got his staff answering calls. You know, he's he's hustling and he's grinding. Yeah, he's pressing that flesh. So, like, um, basically, they are leaving the Longworth building, and um, he comes out, and Josh is like, "Oh my God, that's him!" So they go over and confront him in this gaggle of other legislators, I imagine, and so. It's it's a great scene because Jimmy Smith is a foot taller than either <laughs> either uh what's his name? Yeah. Will Will Bailey or Josh, who <laughs> oh, the actors' names me. aren't coming to me immediately, but like Bradley yeah, Whitford, Bradley Whitford and, and Josh Molina. Molina. So yeah, like he's a good he- he's a good head above them, so yeah. the camera has to pull some real magic to try to keep them all in frame at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And so you have Matt Santos physically looming over these guys as he's just like sort of calmly listening to them complain and then just pimp slapping the shit out of them verbally. Yeah. yeah. He basically, he gets to do the West Wing thing where he gets the final point and he gets to walk away while they sit there in stunned silence uh, where he totally fucking owned them because he's like, uh, his, his great line drop is something along the lines of like, Look, I'm compromising. You think the White House that picked Bob Russell as a fucking VP would understand the meaning of compromise? compromise. Yeah. <laughs> and they both great. have to just sit there like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking owned. <laughs> like, particularly Will. So, Will is interesting to me because at this point, from now on, he is going to be a bad guy. He is going to be an antagonist for Josh and Santos because he is going to be running the enemy primary campaign of Bob Russell. And it's really interesting because the character of Will hasn't changed at all. He is still the exact same, like, idealistic, diehard, you know, sort of Sam replacement that they meant him to be, where, you know, he's the passionate guy, he's always working hard. I know, like, every character is always working hard, but, you know, Will is a different level than, like, Toby, who really kind of seems to not give a fuck on most days. Uh, But it's interesting because Will is still the same but they have to shift him from protagonist to antagonist and it's all just because he chose to throw in with bob russell and i find that really interesting because it's it's sort of this like liberal idea of like ignore the structural issues around his decision that he was he thought he was jumping on to what's going to be the next campaign. Because he's like, well, rather than ride out the lame duck Bartlett White House, I'm going to jump on who they picked as their obvious successor because he assumed the Bob Russell pick had, like, more meaning behind it than it did, which is a stupid mistake, given that we know it was just, like, a compromise with Republicans. I think but it's... No, it's just weird. Uh, well, it's just weird that he's he's now the bad guy just because he picked the wrong horse. And... The only reason he picked the wrong horse is because Bartlett picked Russell. It's weird. Well, and I think it it speaks also to just the fractious nature of the two-party system as it stands, particularly, and because... Right, but they're both in the same party, so well, it's but that's, worse. But the, no, but that's what I'm saying, is that the, the Republicans will not brook that. Republicans will... I don't... I, I'm sure they have some back-channel bullshit initially, but... There is absolutely no dissent brooked right. from the line yeah, once, out the once gate. Once the party has a line, they're incredibly disciplined <laughs> and, on that line. Man, but and, and we see in real time in this show here where it it's hard to maintain these professional relationships when your standard of living, your political career, you know, feeding your family 
hinges on this sort of nebulous interaction between, well, I have to line up the next horse, but also back mine in a contest for that while hedging against it not being my guy. And right. that's that's an incredibly shitty like material reality to navigate. I don't give a shit about necessarily the politics of it, never mind that sure. all these people are indistinguishable. Like sure. it's just having to do that as a campaign worker or a staffer has to be just like it's got to be agonizing. Sure. And that's why it's I find it interesting that Will becomes such like a villain for doing nothing other than like I said picking the wrong horse yeah. and taking but, care like, of himself. He's, and but he's doing it with like all the all the forgive the pun here but goodwill in the world. He's going into it, you know, eyes up trying to like win for the Democrats. You know, in theory him and Josh are on the same team here, uh but because they end up picking different horses in the next primary and because Josh is always going to be a protagonist, Will has to become the antagonist narratively. Yes, and yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a, frankly, for the writers, like, that's sort of almost a catch-22. It's like, what what, what are we going to do? We have to maintain some sort of ideological integrity with the show, but now that we're going into a primary season, it's just like, um, uh, sure, now he's bad. <laughs> like, okay. Now we'll, so th- I'm looking forward to that to dig into as a dynamic as the primary goes forward, because this episode definitely does a lot of setting up of Matt Santos. Now that we've been introduced to him, this is the episode where you start to get the feel of like, oh, maybe this oh. guy is like a big deal, well, you know? So t- to, to wrap it up, basically Santos makes the right call, gets the Republican guy to like modify the bill, increase almost everything that they want and get it on the road to passage and so josh has a moment where <laughs> toby's just like you should probably read the bill like the and new hands bill him like and hands him like the giant fuck off like <laughs> yeah. 900 page thing yeah and just like uh it, it's so stupid to me there should be like an executive summary of all bills you know like it doesn't have to be two pages it could be like 10 or 15 or whatever but it should have like there should be a way that you don't have to sign, hand someone the giant fuck-off document with all, like, the legalese and the the Fs for Ss or whatever the fuck they have to do to, to make it an official bill. Well, Dave, for the Republicans, that's why Alec exists. Right. <laughs> on the, on that... the other side of the aisle, there is no such thing. So, whoops, guess cutting our budget for staffers and legislative workers. Just, um, you know, we're just going to have to rely on those good-hearted people with all the lobbying and dus- industry organizations <laughs> who, who to, the to tell us yeah. what these bills mean. <laughs> to, tell, to write them and then to tell us what is in them. Yes, that's right. Uh, so the episode actually ends with Bartlett visiting, uh, like, Walter Reed or some sort of military hospital where he's um, he's visiting the other people who were wounded in the attack that killed the one American troop that that kicked off the episode because a few others got wounded, and uh, he's he's talking to a guy who got both his both his legs uh, blown off and or had to be amputated or something like that, and they're talking about like how prosthetics are like way better now and stuff like that, uh, and and the guy the 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 troop kid laying in the hospital bed with both his legs blown off in like the most like brings a a eagle uh flavored tear to my eye uh go looks at the president and goes i want to go back sir yeah awesome <laughs> with, with both his legs bro blown off 
Cool. Yep. Uh, and I just I just want to bring it up because this kid looks so much like Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb that it blows me away. I don't even <laughs> like, know who that like is. Young, he looks like young young Brad Shoemaker from Giant Bomb. It's a it's a website about video games. I know I know what Gi- I mean. I've met Jeff Gerstman. <laughs> yes. But like I know oh. what, I know what Giant Bomb is, but I don't know who Brad when, Shoemaker when did, is. When did you meet Jeff Gerstman? <laughs> he was at so my buddy who used to work for Sony video games, who now works for Disney in one of their content things at his wedding, Jeff Gersman oh. was because this guy also um, publicized rock band. He was oh, the yeah. first, one of the first rock band people. So anyway, wait, Alex Navarro. No, that Alex. Okay. <laughs> he worked cause he worked on, he worked on the rock band PR. <laughs> no, I was wondering um, if that was your buddy. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to strictly dox him, but yeah, like, don't, I, don't dox. Yeah. I, I just, just if he was famous, Alex Navarro, I don't the, dox your buddy. I had the cops called on me in Dallas because we were playing a prototype of rock band in my apartment too loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good times. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because I was just like, oh my god, Brad Shoemaker was on an episode of West Wing as an amputee veteran? <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I, it's just so milquetoast down the road, like, okay, the troops, you know, uh, yeah. and they're dedicated. Yeah, you know, we've, and... and we've seen this before, we've had the Bartlett visit the military guys before things, so it's literally just retreading plot lines we've done. So it's, overall for the episode, is just kind of meh. Like, there's a couple of high points in there. There's some decent stuff with CJ. I like Santos just because Jimmy Smith's is good, and it's a fresh energy for the show. But overall, more of the same mediocrity of, like, season five. Yeah, and I it's cool that they set up Matt Santos, and I honestly really... The, the, the effectiveness of them portraying him as a reluctant superstar is interesting because nothing about the administration has ever been reluctant it's been fucking sam seaborn being the godchild it's been josh being the consummate like mercenary operator it's been Mm -hmm. leo with 60 years in politics like just nailing everything and so Mm -hmm. it's it's a good turn i think for them from a character development Yes, perspective rather than Bartlett, who always wanted it, and you know they found him in a veterans hall talking politics, you know, and he from day one wanted to be president, kind of thing. And whereas you said Santos is much more like he has this reluctant, like no, but you're being called to serve, I mean, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, that Josh, Josh will try to pitch him on, and we'll talk about that when we get to that episode. We, we've had the Cincinnatus moment already in the show, and I'm I'm actually curious, and I can probably ask Emma because she'll know. But um, whether they wrote Matt Santos before Sorkin left. Ooh, that's a good question. So, I will do some research on yeah, that before yeah. before our next episode and dig into it further. Because yeah, that's a great question. Uh, if Sorkin came up with the idea of uh, of, that, of the, that eventual replacement, yeah. yeah, 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 huh, yeah, okay, but that mostly ties up uh, our thoughts for this episode. Uh, any final thoughts, Stu? Nope. Um, I think- it was it was okay. It's just I, I just feel like we're kind of wandering around. Like last time we mentioned, it's sort of like the show is just kind of just meandering. Yeah, meandering yeah. for a while. Totally. Uh, so this is more of that, but. 
with the buildup of Santos, we are definitely getting closer and closer to the campaign storyline kicking off, which I'm excited for because that's a huge breath of fresh air that this show desperately needs at this point. All right. So thanks as always again for listening. We, uh, we enjoy your views, your listens, your comments, your questions. Feel free to drop them in either one of our threads. If you found the show a different way, hi, welcome. And you can uh, email the show your feedback, comments, questions at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. <laughs> nice. Nice. And that does it for another episode of The Worst Wing. Uh, we'll be back hopefully next week to take on our next episode of The West Wing here on The Worst Wing. Everybody stay, stay safe. safe, everyone. Bye now. Bye-bye. I'll send all the money you ask for, but don't ask me to come on along.